Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this episode, we hear part one of the Doc's in-studio interview with sound engineers Dave Hampton and Scott Baldwin, where they discuss the Musicology Tour, Working Together, and Prince's Practical Jokes. The Doc also talks about the newly announced Greatest Hits Collection and Purple Rain Deluxe album coming out. And now, I say it's only mountains and the sea, Dr. Funkenberry. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Chris, thank you so much for the intro, as usual. You're welcome, Dr. Funkenberry. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Please make sure to subscribe to us so as soon as an episode is up, you get it. Whether it's through Google Play, through Stitcher, through iTunes, give us reviews. Much appreciated. Sharing it, it, posting it everywhere. Love it. And it's all for free, right? F-R-E-E. If they want to donate, they can donate. They don't have to. We're still providing this because we have fun doing it and it needs to be done. Where can they donate if they want to donate? Uh, they can go on drfunkenberry.com. It'll be in the right-hand corner. I'm hoping before the end of the year to have some changes done to the site just because there's a lot of memory being used. That's why I haven't been posting as much unless it's like some major news. Speaking of major news, that's what we had this week. All right, let's get into it. So, yeah, there's some exciting stuff came out, right? Yeah, I got an email. I was expecting it. Uh, it happened on the 21st, but it happened exactly at uh, <laughs> 9, 9 p.m., which did here at midnight, but yeah. 9 p.m. my time on the 21st. Um, oh, before we get into the news, do you want to tell mm-hmm. everyone who we have in studio tonight? In studio this time, you know, we're going to have... Dave Hampton and Scotty Baldwin both with us here. Scotty had a day off of touring with the Fray and came by our studios, and that's how we handled it. Yes. Now to the news. Okay, get them. The headline says it all by itself. MPG Records and Warner Brothers Records announced two new Prince releases. Two new albums. Yeah. Hey. Well, it's awesome. The first one, Finally. not not so new. Not so new. Second one, technically. Not so new with bonus stuff. Okay. So tell us about the uh, the first one. When's that coming out? Prince Forever, okay. November twenty second, right no. before Thanksgiving. Whoa, that's um, I don't know what date you're now listening it's to less this. Than a month it's away. an it's a month from the date of recording, so right. it's it's right around the corner. Happening really quick, and let's be real here. You it's know, great. regardless of this, regardless of Prince saying, you know, to the Ebony interview, which we tracked down and put on, and other people stole it. Good job, by the way. That was Thanks. awesome. Because that article um, never really officially came out, right? Or we It did- came out, and then Prince wanted it taken off because of stuff that was said about certain people on there, not this. But it didn't make it to print, right? It was online it only? It made it to online, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting because Prince did bring up a greatest hits, but he also brought up about it being remastered and there being a booklet. He wanted to do the liner notes. Okay. Now- with how quick this is coming out, and it didn't say anywhere in the press release this is remastered, so it's not remastered. And there's not going to be any liner notes from him because he didn't do it yet. But you're going to have 12 pages of a booklet that's going to have some unreleased Herb Ritz photos. Now, Which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm sure if they had the liner notes by Prince, they would have said in the press release, just like they would have said it's remastered. Plus, the asking price for a double disc set is $20. If it's a remaster, it'd be more. You're probably going to get it cleaned up, though, like you did the Ultimate Prince set. So you will have the better sound quality Production. possible, although it's not going to be a remaster. So 
I saw you posted the track list. Um, mm-hmm. There were 40 tracks? Yeah. What's Doesn't interesting that mean, is... Is that going to be four CDs? No. You're probably going to get like the seven-inch versions of stuff. I don't know if it's like the the edit the edits that would be rare. Some people are asking for that. But you're not really going to get full-length versions of songs. Now, we don't need to go through the entire track list. What's interesting to me is in the press release, it mentioned the most people grow in the world and it's on the track list. And I contacted the person that sent out the press release, contacted some other people mm-hmm. that can't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, so we'll figure it out, but it's already on Amazon with the same track list. So I don't know why beautiful girl was put on there unless it's some in track. It would have to be the 1995 version from the gold experience Warner brothers release and not right. the, uh, stacks of wax Belmark records version or right. whatnot. So um, that's what I was thinking. Since there was 40 tracks, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is going to be a four-disc set, and they just haven't announced all the tracks. It's and not going to be, be long versions of songs. No. You're going to get the One Doves Cry edit again, which yeah. I would have wish would have been the full version on Ultimate. Maybe they will do a full version, but I'm still thinking with I Want to Be Your Lover. You're not going to get the full. No, I you're going to get the so single. Bad. You'll get the single versions, I'm sure, like on the hits, the B-side. Just like they're using Gotta Stop Messing About, that's a short b-side on there controversy probably not gonna get long let's work we already had long version on the ultimate set now all this we haven't seen timings of stuff yet this is what we're getting offhand right now but amazon should have that when they get it right don't they usually post the track times right now they just have tracks okay they will get it eventually they do have take me with you on there which is interesting to me because yeah it's a single but you're going to be having purple rain the remaster and deluxe coming out next year, early 2017. Now that's why I don't, I don't think 17 days or other, um, B sides are on this set. You know, you're looking at other things. They have alphabet street. Will that be the seven inch version without the cackle over wrap? Um, kiss is probably gonna be the short version. Cream probably as well. Mountains is on there, which is cool. Bob's your girlfriend. Never take the place of your man. Glam Slam. You know, in the original press release, it is correct. Glam Slam, not Grand Slam. It's kind of cool um, that Glam Slam's on there, though. My name is Prince, Sexy MF, Seven Peach, Nothing Compares to You. Notice there's no Purple Rain. You know, again, Yeah. but these are things that I think are going to be on the Purple Rain remaster and special edition, so this is why they're holding it back. You know, they don't want you to make to buy the same stuff twice. Now, another thing that's on there is Moonbeam Levels, which is the 1999 outtake. An unreal song from uh, the vault. Have you read the the words recently to Moonbeam Levels? He doesn't really want to die. Like, oh, yeah, like all the songs. Anyway, well, that and but I am so happy that it's actually getting an official release finally because that's yeah. one of. Them, it's been actually talked a lot about susan rogers described it that that's like the one track she would like to have released right so it's kind of cool that somebody somewhere is listening and at least they snuck one unreleased track on there. i want to hear the quality of it (laughs) that's all i'm saying let's be real here regardless this is what i think happened because when he signed to get his masters back in 2014 the day, the night of the breakdown was put on. Interesting, the breakdown isn't on there or any tracks off of Plectrum or Electrum or Artificial Age. Although those didn't sell well, probably posthumously they sold well. Yeah, but not so much in the here and now. Say so they don't want to 
effects sales of that that you have to actually buy those albums to get any songs off of it like this could be us or the breakdown now at that time there was talks of the purple rain remaster coming out then and then artificial age or plectrum electrum what happened was they wanted one new prince album and the purple rain remaster prince turned in artificial age and plectrum at the same time and like that's great. Here's Plectrum back. We want the Purple Rain Remaster. And he's like, no, you get both of these or you don't get the remaster. Hmm. These need to be done. I want these out at the same time. So he's finally able to get two albums out at the same time, which is what he tried to do years ago with Gold and Come, where he had Prince under Come and then Gold was supposed to be underneath the symbol. They wouldn't do it. Regardless, uh, the promotion for Artificial Age and Plectrum wasn't fantastic on both ends especially in this digital age right um didn't give them performing remaster or give them exactly what they wanted so things started going over then i think the demand and this is an assumption by me <laughs> you know that prince wanted a certain amount of money given ahead of time for purple rain probably what he was asking for they're like, okay, we'll do that, but we want another Greatest Hits collection. I think this is something that Warner has always wanted. Now, keep in mind, the Stones have about 40 Greatest Hits collections. So Prince having a third one or a fourth one, if you want to count certain things, it's expected just to catch up on people. So what people are saying was this was something discussed that they put ahead of time. Uh, Justine Walpole, Walpole, I don't know how to pronounce the name, she took the photo that ended up being the coverer in 2012 and was working with him earlier this year in Australia, which also ended up on the piano and a microphone tour book and a few other things that she talked about. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Danny, who did a little bit of the coloring effects for a couple of photos that I would post and Prince really liked along with the meme for this could be us. This, this cover had the same kind of color imprint. I haven't had a chance to ask her if she had anything to do with it, but I'm thinking that she was asked to do the artwork. The only problem with the cover, let alone with stuff, is the Prince Forever thing was made up by the fans, groups like Purple Funk SF and other things, because they don't like them the years, 1958 to 2016. So this is it, Prince Forever. Not, not until eternity, not other things. And here it is on the album underneath the symbol, they have the years. It's like 1958 to 2016. They're, they're not getting it. That's yeah. the fans wanted. But what I'm saying is, is Warner's putting this out before Christmas and other things. Are they rushing this now to make money? Yes. Was what he asked for with Purple Rain thing, are they finally meeting it because now the supply and demand is what, you know, what they wanted in the first place? 100%. Yeah. But certain... MPG Records, they agreed to this. They had to make deals happen. But I'm sure, and again, another assumption, sure what he asked for originally along with them wanting a hit set, the money was paid to what it wanted. But they always wanted another hit set. Now they're going to get it. This is totally capitalizing on the new fans or the casual fans that he's gotten. The hardcore has this, but they know they kind of got to support it in a way. Yeah, I think so. this set is really for the for the newer fans and i'm oh, okay with it wait you're not gonna buy it for well, moonbeam levels i'm totally gonna get it for, for the, twenty dollars for the booklet and for the uh the new song 
All for right. sure. But I think it's really geared towards newer fans, and that's okay. Or cash. Yeah. Or people that Younger. understand that you got to support things, and you will get probably better sound quality. It's not going to be a remaster, but you're going to get better sound quality than what's out there. But absolutely, this is put in right before Christmas to have it go up and have huge sales. Mm-hmm. Was it something that Prince planned on before? Yes. But there was more of a rush to make sure a deal was made now before the holidays or the holy days and or you have another stocking stuffer as he would say 100 percent accurate yeah. yeah for sure but at the same time we're put into a weird place as fans because we want to make sure that paisley stays where it's supposed to be to the family and to the fam meaning the fans there's one just like you have to support paisley park like look we all know it's open too soon we all agree with that and the tours will get better over time but now that's what we have to do to support stuff to make sure that other people don't get their hands on it or the government or other things. But 100%, this is the thing from Warner Brothers to cash in. Uh, it's business. As Billy Sparks would say, this is a business. You ain't too far gone to see that. That's right. So that's what it is. It's frustrating. And then the Purple Rain remaster, again, that's why I think there's certain songs that are not on there and there's certain songs that are. You know, probably yeah, let's for, talk about the deluxe now. So. So we don't know too much info on that. Okay. You know, early 2017 can mean anything. It's not going to be January, February, March. Early means spring 2017, which means April. (laughs) That date again. Yeah. Yeah. April, May, June, July. Mm. Because that can still be early 2017. Late 2017 is November, December. Right. So remember that. Don't be in February. Like they said, early 2017. Where is it? I know there's going to be people on Twitter hitting me up for that. Give it time. I know it's frustrating and it's not what we wanted for one one track on this album. But like I said, they don't want to put all the gems on there, especially when they're they know that there's been a lot of new fans since April twenty first and a right. lot of casual fans that got back into them. This is what it is. We all understand that. Yeah, it's Warner Brothers acting on a business decision to make a lot of money. But also MPG Records are going to make a lot of money as well. And again, these were deals that weren't in place, but Warner wasn't agreeing on. As he put out on Twitter earlier this year, I gave it to Warner Brothers. They're sitting on it. It's on them to do. You know, this is it. He was probably asking for a certain amount of money and that they wanted a hit set. And he was, you know, wanting to do it, but they couldn't agree on money or tracks or other things. Or he wanted to put the liner notes together, which isn't going to happen anymore. But that's what's happening. Um, it's going to be frustrating for everybody because there's going to be more releases, probably maybe two a year. You know what's going to happen when they want to put out a 12 inch collection of everything in a few years? You know, it's this. These are the things that start. You be like, oh man, I already have this, but technically it wasn't released. They'll do a new remaster. They'll have liner notes by other people. Yeah. So what I'm hoping for and. Your release or the press release that you mm-hmm. put out showed um, that there'll be a second disc on the deluxe edition. Yeah. So could that be the B sides? Could that be unreleased songs? What do you think is going to be? I'd on say there? 17 days. I'd say Electric Intercourse. I hope. That's the only thing I, I want. I don't think you're going to be getting a live DVD of that August 3rd, 1983 show. I don't think that you're going to be getting certain things. They got to hold everything off. Yeah, that's for other true. other anniversaries. And then, oh, newly discovered footage. Right, yeah. 
or exactly. this so and so. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. This is the game now. And now it's like y'all people up there in age, we got to take care of your health so that you can be getting these releases that we couldn't get when he was here unfortunately. You know, he always said the vault would be out when he's not here. And now unfortunately now we're having that. I'm with you on that. So we will see in time. This is the first one. I know it's hard for the fans. I'm with you guys. I'm just trying to give you everything. You can buy it or don't buy it. The main thing is, is that we kind of got to get to stuff. And, you know, you're going to be buying it, Chris. I'm going to be buying two copies. Um, no, I'll. Uh, no. Yeah, I will. Because that's I what I used to do with new releases yeah. is buy one to open and have one sealed. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely get two, maybe three, two times, maybe three. Stocking stuffers. That's right. Yeah, Lord have mercy. Uh, I even I haven't purchased a movie collection yet, so I guess I'm a bad fan. I just can't do stuff like that yet. But I think I I found another (coughs) stocking stuffer I need to get. Hush. I'm just (laughs) yeah. Apparently, there's I mean, a dog fight outside of the studio right now. <laughs> I don't know hopefully, if you that's not that. being picked up. <laughs> Those are people from the org. Anyway, on that note, good lord, let's get to our Scotty. Let's bring Keep him the in. The windows open. He says it'll be fine. He says this is a this is real he life. He said means me, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. We got great guests. This is an awesome interview to have them both here. It was so much fun. Let the dogs out. <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, you guys can buy it if buy it or don't. Um, it's I being released. It. It's being released anyway. I understand. And look, a lot of his old catalog, and that's another thing that people were bringing up is why is there nothing after 1993? Again, I tried to put this up on an Instagram post and whatnot. Musicology was released on Sloan, Sony slash Columbia. Uh, 3121 was through Universal. Again, then Planet Earth was released through Columbia. Then 2010 was released through a newspaper. You got to get all these things. See, they were able to put on title because there was no laws for streaming at the time. There, there was nothing available of that. The thing is, is whether he owns the Masters to Musicology and 3121 and others, which he does, it's distribution deals and that would take a while to get worked out. And they're right. trying to have a release for the fans before the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, so they can't wait. Yep. And there you go. We look, we know we had other hits beside that. The Warner Brothers years, and this is why we got to keep Warner in check with stuff cuz more than likely because of how much of his hit catalog was made with him. In the end, they're going to be the ones we have to deal with. Yep. But let's stop with the you can have your theories if you want. But to be real here is that in order for him to get what he want, that's why he worked out a deal with to get his masters back from them. The deal was is he gets he gets to keep his masters, but future releases would have to be through them, and that's not going to change, you know, unless someone purchases the catalog more than thirty five million dollars for the vault. Come on, y'all, don't believe everything that's on the internet. Um, we will see. I mean, it's frustrating. It's all going to be too soon no matter what. But, you know, I think that's why in the press release they made sure to mention that the Purple Rain remaster and deluxe will be coming out next year because that's for the hardcore. They've been wanting it for a while. And this is a hits collection to 
kind of hold you over in moonbeam levels one track but it's 20 bucks and i do think that the sound quality will be better on this set if it isn't shame on warner brothers right there anything else you want to add before we bring scott no way man in, scott, I, I can't wait to get into the interview it's great much love everyone check it out tell your friend tell your mom tell your girlfriend tell your boyfriend here we go what is up everyone here we are back by popular demand we have dave hampton and scotty baldwin at the same time we got both of them here <laughs> scotty had a day off flew in just for this how's it going guys doing well how Do- are you guys doing good doing good yeah now we have you on because we know that you guys wanted to say a few things about kind of like what's been transpiring and some other things that we may have left off our previous episode correct oh i think yeah i think we're passionate about anything you ask us yeah. and talk about and we hear so you know whatever we can say to, to answer some of the questions that people have been writing in and then uh whatever we'll chime in on on some of the other stuff you've been talking about you know Definitely. no 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 tea spilling though no tea spilling. no we're trying not to go that route <laughs> Only if it needs to be done. Do go we do go it. to the light, Doctor Funkelbeck. Yes. Go to the light. Because <laughs> I, I know you want to touch on the musicology tour and stuff like that. But first thing we'll do, just uh, for Scotty, they want to know on part two of the episode when we had you on, you mentioned something about track twelve on the DET that you had to fetch out of the vault. What was on track twelve that you remember? I don't remember specifically what was on it. It was when I went down to. Um, get the multi-track for sign of the times because Mm. prince wanted to do that song so because i was a drum tech he sent me down and liked me and trusted me enough to go down there and get it Uh, i forgot which engineer let me in there but we went in and we went up and i remember it was in c uh in studio c we put the two inch um on the machine and started to and he did specifically say there's something that you'll need on track 12 and i don't know how he remembered that but he had sort of a um, his recall was very, when it came to his music, was very crystal clear. And so I would push up every fader one at a time and say, okay, there's the kick, there's a snare, I'll get that kick sample, that snare sample, right. get those tuned, get those conga samples that are part of that signature sound of that song. And I forgot what it was specifically on track 12, but there was something that ended up making it into the loop. Uh, so he was, he had that kind of recall, especially about his music, that he could remember what was on what track and and what belonged where yeah yeah i remember that too he it was strange too because some of the some of the tapes would have track sheets and some wouldn't but if he told you something was in a certain place it usually was there and that considering how much music there was that's pretty good right excuse me for that one um another question that they have there's a bunch here they're kind of wanting to know, I don't know if you guys can even touch on this, because I know that he studied different things. Um, someone was saying Prince seemed seemed to be moving away from his hardcore uh, Jehovah Witness ways and days. And speaking of what other spiritual directions he was headed in, I mean, I know that he said that he studied different things all the time. And I don't think that he was going away from his JW beliefs at all. Do you guys believe that that was? I just think he was constantly studying different things. Mm, I 
I don't know, as I as I've come to kind of learn a little bit more about him, a couple of services, I learned some things that I didn't I didn't really know. And uh, I would say that um, probably in later years, he he probably discovered a lot more about his belief system that goes beyond just the JW understanding and explanation because most of the time when you have a walk it's a personal experience any kind of faith walk be it traditional Christianity or or Buddhist or anything um, I really think that uh, as he uh, I found I come to find out about some of his experiences when he was around seven and some of that stuff that that um, that uh, he he had some things uh, that happened that were that were uh, his own his own special event, you know, and and uh, they talked about it at one of the services. That's why I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say it here, but it, it definitely it definitely led me to believe that he had a special understanding of what what his relationship was. I think as years go on and as we meet and admire people, I know. I spent time with Larry Graham and his family and toured the world with him. And I've been to word study with him. And when I was with Herbie, I've been to Buddhist temples with him, Buddhist ceremonies. So huh. the, the thing about people, creative people and people who have a faith walk of any kind is that the, when we do music together, that's what brings us all together, right? So we could all believe something different. At the end of the day, when we do the magic of music, it kind of moves past our religious beliefs and goes to who we are in our individual faith walk. And that's why sometimes it's very dynamic. When you look at all these camps of people, you're not going to see everybody who believes the same thing. But when the curtain goes up, they do. Right. So there's something magical about the companionship of people who at least believe and understand how to be in, in, in lockstep with one another to do what we do. You know, and I, I kind of admire that about the, the gypsy way we all just meet and get along, you know, when you're on the road, that whole thing. And it works. It works. But I think in later years, I think he probably, like all of us, I'm older. I, I know much more now than I did when I was younger. Right. Um, but it's all a personal experience. So there's stuff that we see outwardly and we look at and judge because we have a perspective, especially about Jehovah's Witness. We have a preconceived notion these are the people that knock on the doors and we try and act like we're not home right these are people right. you know but if you understand their part of their thing is service you know is, is you have to have some understanding of what their walk is to, to have some uh, ability to say okay i get it i get where they're at you know right. but i i just think that his life brought him to to see much more than just what was in in their blue what i call their blue book because they have their own special version of the bible you know right now of course now we can get away and from nobody that. nobody write in and know, oh he just bad manager who was with he said no don't don't write in and get all like that I was trying to just give a cool answer that explains it in my way because I know right. how people get real sensitive how dare you say that oh no no calm, calm down that's why I said yeah he said he was going away from his job right it's, I don't believe that so much no. I might be wrong I think it's a self discovery no. thing and I think that that uh. Faith and belief is such a personal experience. Nobody has the right mm -hmm. to come in and say, or is if anybody's being real or isn't being real with their faith. There's no police. 
right. of that as an individual when you are on your religious walk. And the talks that we had, me and him, it was more of a spiritual thing than that. Like he'd bring up the Jehovah Witness thing and then quickly move away mm-hmm. to other things, you know, but I always felt more of a spiritual side of him. Now here's more of a studio question. Now they've got that question <laughs> out of the okay, way. It's okay, man. I like Lighten those questions. Yeah. Go ahead, Scotty. Say something. I know you say something. I like the non sequitur nature of this <laughs> gathering. Okay, it's going to go next. We'll be talking about cartoons. The next <laughs> hey, that actually is a question. <laughs> That's <laughs> the next question. Yeah, okay. Not the next. No, I'm playing. Um, to your knowledge, have all the analog vault tapes. This is a long question. Okay. Part all one. the analog vault tapes, 24 channel multi tracks, half two channel mix downs, or other variants been transferred to high resolution 24 bit digital format or file. They've heard bits and pieces have been, but not all, including unreleased material, that there was an effort was made in the 90s, and then Prince pulled the plug in the last minute. Have you guys heard anything about that? I, I know when I first got there from my experience working with Herbie and his tapes and his archives. That was one of my first conversations, and he didn't want to undertake it. And when we went to take things out and started to see the condition of things, we again had that conversation. He did not want to undertake it. And I gave him the whole process. Here's what's done. Here's what we do. But at that point, he did not want to venture down that road. We were just pulling him out and doing, seeing what we could do with what he pulled out. Now, that question and the way it's worded, um, in the times we're in right now, i got to answer it a certain way. Because that's somebody who wants specific information. They go, oh, I heard all these. So so I, I like the detail of the question, but um, they have to also consider that Warner Brothers has a vault, too. Mm. And when you ask a question, and part of that question, I believe, in, inside is high resolution, right? Right. Um, when you have the Warner Brothers side, and most of the majors are now all transitioning their files to high resolution files, that is a Warner Brothers based questions that you would have to see what they have and what they're doing with, you know, with that, because most of them are already on a planned timed calendar of how they curate their vaults. So right. if you have analog tapes, you know, just to give you an example with Herbie's, we, we would re-record masters and give ourselves some so that we had a, the original analog, but then we had an analog work tape. So if somebody needed to buy some of Rocket or we need to remix Rocket for a video game, we pull the work tape, we don't pull the original. And every couple of years we check the original versus the work tape. And if we do, we make a new work tape, mm-hmm. right? So that we have a next generation copy because there's always decaying now. He keeps his in a vault that's 72 degrees and you got to put on a winter coat to go in the vault. Got to punch in a code, the whole wall rolls back and it's a serious vault that a lot of people have this stuff and quincy has this stuff there the doors have their stuff there it's it's a real place hmm. that is designed just for that right housed in it is videotapes sheet music uh anything of importance to anybody's career any anything that is what is what is called a asset is now being turned into a digital asset so it's it's a digital asset management is what it's called, and it's it's something that every legacy artist or act needs to be involved in. So it's something every estate needs to be involved in. So I think that's that's on this side of it. Warner Brothers probably already has 
something that they've already been doing to all their material, not just Prince material. Their Prince material is obviously under a lot of analyzation, what they do have <clears throat> and the condition that it's in. And they're probably building a calendar for all that activity right now because that's what they control. Right? right. And so and that's a natural thing that all these companies do. But they are already in the process, as in capital EMI and everybody else, of changing their files over to high resolution uh downloadable attainable stem files right so that's something that's been in the works for some time and it, and it's just a new form of where we're at that, right. that people were now going to have the ability to access some of the greatest music in the world vis-a-vis a high resolution stem file purchase mm. you know i have a question for you what when you were in the vault for the first time what changes did you enact to head that in a different direction from when you found it from when you came in in 2003 the biggest thing i try to do is just as as quickly as possible because when it's when it's a subject that somebody doesn't want to cover but you're there and you're responsible you still want to try and make sure you're looking out because the more he would pull out tapes and the more we couldn't use something, the more they would shed, that ends a creative moment, right? So he'll, he'll go to Vault and he'll pull something out, put it on, and if Ian goes, hey, it's shedding, I'm like, man, not much we can do. Let's go see what, you know, that can't keep happening. You just ended a creative moment if he's just going pulling. So part of the thing is you got to catch them at the right time and have the right conversation to say, hey, this is worth doing. But Again, these things are not inexpensive things for artists to do on their own. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember, at the time that we were there, um, the manufacturers of two-inch tape were all phasing out. Quantity was about to go out of business, and I was buying up as much two-inch tape as possible all over the United States, wherever I could get it, to bring it in because we just needed to record. We not only needed to preserve, we needed to record because he was on a tear to create. Right. So that two inch was used up in the creation of new. It wasn't used up to, to re-record old. See, that's that's the thing. You, you, you have ongoing things that you have to do. And everybody's different. Everybody curates their library different. Some people, um, Sony has a different way that they curate their library where they do do uh, redundant backups on different formats. So they'll use uh, optical tape, they'll use some other formats, and then they have it addressable in a computer where they can go plug in the song we need it, boom, robot comes, brings it down, puts it in the machine, and you get a copy right there. Different places have different means, but they, they're quite extensive. I wonder what the, you know, how old painters would paint over a painting. They quite often they'll take an old painting and discover another painting underneath it. I wonder how much, if at all, Prince did that to old material. I would imagine there were probably some tapes that got re-recorded over. I would imagine Hmm. early in the day, and and you'll hear print through. That's what that's called when you hear uh, the the print through on the tape machine, what was the ghost image of what was there before, you know. But I, I don't doubt that would happen because there was a time when tape was hard to get. And so when tape was hard to get and you run out of it and Pro Tools wasn't on the scene and, and he wasn't really using it until we got it in there, you have to have the ability to record him. And that was that was his means. Because everything I recorded with him was on 
digital audio tape. It was always live and it was always right, right. to, to right. dat tape. So I didn't have to, it was already digitized. Part of that was on purpose. I could have recorded on the road. I could have recorded um, CDRs, recordable CDs for him. Mm. But um, with how critical he could be in the moment, I figured my best chance for keeping things positive and moving forward was to record him on a medium that he couldn't check out instantly. And that seems selfish, but it wasn't. It was that mm. his hyper uh, his hypercritical nature would oftentimes trip over itself, and then and then we'd end up um, deconstructing things that had already been working in an effort to reconstruct when they when they weren't necessary. So I figured that to put him on a digital to make a digital asset out of a live performance of which the vault has got to be filled because I gave hundreds of dats yeah. in my yeah. tenure yeah. of running sound there. Well, we used to get them when you guys would send them back from the thing, we would get them and then I'd listen to them in the studio before they went in just to make sure that they were something was on there, what it was yeah. because, because again, you're, you're out recording on a Panasonic and we're in the studio listening on a Panasonic. That's a, that's a, a manufacturer of a DAP machine. That's the the manufacturer of the most common one found in studios. Right. You know, and this used to be a thing that was common uh, back when digital audio tape first started coming up, where you'd have you'd be in the field, somebody would record on a Sony, but they play it back on a Panasonic, and then they had different level difference. And then you also had the fact that if with with Prince, he wouldn't want to go backwards, so he wasn't really the type to come back and listen to the DAP. That from from what he just did, from what he just came in on the road doing, it, it wasn't that because he was onto the new, onto the new. And the more we got up and running in the other studios, it was really about being onto the new. And and uh, I think the other thing is your your board mixes are so clean, and some of the other stuff is so clean. There's no need to to kind of go into it and and pick it apart because you could literally make a CD out of of any of. Them. You know, right, I'm sure that will be done. You know, and I've listened to some of the earlier tapes because we have the earlier board tapes that were cassette and everything. We had a lot of those there too. You know, that other area we talked about last time, the secret area that that yeah. they uncovered. That that particular area had in it early <clears throat> tapes of not dad tapes, but early board mixes from concerts, and they're you know mm -hmm. some of the. Uh, so the amplified sand, you know, <laughs> it was not really good recording because right. because, again, uh, everybody worked different. There's a lot of guys that mix great shows. They weren't worried about making tapes. Right. right. Some guys, it, it, it's all different kind of engineers out there. Scotty's the one who he mixes a great show and he knows enough about audio where his tapes are going to be good. He, he's not sitting there the whole show with a headset on listening to how good the tape is because he's worried about keeping his job. You know, but there's a lot of people who mix like that. There are engineers who mix. Yeah. who set up a separate mix so that yeah. one is being recorded and the other is in the show. And the downfall of that is that if an artist asks for a recording and you give them the one that you thought was going to be recorded well but not what was representative of the room, they may right. be saying, where's no, the audience? where's this, where's this? And when, right. when really yeah. it was there and you're shooting yourself in the foot. And the, the best way to do it is the is Occam's Razor. is the simplest explanations, the best. So you would just record off the board left right and um usually that was if the performance was special enough you capture it that way special enough and dave and i worked hard when he was there to integrate the relationship between live and studio because prince 
excelled so much at both, and he was so prolific. He, he was he was coming up with this material so often that Dave um, brought in speakers that I used live into the studio as another reference right. to mm-hmm. listening to material. I think you guys had talked about that before. Yeah, in Studio and, C, matter of fact, and, Studio and, C, when in that Studio C was outfitted with those, and it could actually take some of the the loud punishing that we could do with the drum machines. Like I said, we tuned up everything so that his instruments were a little bit beyond what you see out in the world. So if you see a, a LM1 Lin drum in somebody's studio, you're not going to see the one like he had because it's probably 20 dB hotter than any other drum machine, even the new ones. So you hit it on there, it'll blow most speakers out because it's <laughs> kicking. And we had a lot of mods that Bruce Forat and, and I put on those machines when we when we got them all tuned up. And consequently, when we did the stuff for Musicology, to, to get that Blackwell stuff hot on the loops when you guys came back in, that's a lot of what we did is just make sure we could get things as clean, crisp, and as hot as possible so that you had what you needed at the board. Because it's something that we, we discovered back when we were working with Maxwell, that when you're using source material from original albums and things like that, if you have the ability to give it to the engineer in a dry, clear state, then Scotty can do everything he needs to do with it in whatever room he's in. Because unlike being in the studio, he's in a hockey arena, a basketball thing, and and he's trying to make a good show. He's not in a studio where we can create any environment. So it's, it's we kind of have to work in reverse to give him dry, clear, punchy right. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he let him do what he does at the show. Right. Know? And Prince was always aware of that. He knew um, he knew how to arrange material for specific venues. And, and um, mm-hmm. he, I remember when we went from um, when we went from one night alone live into musicology i remember at some point during the first day of rehearsal he he stopped and um he stopped rehearsal on the one of course and he said um and he said uh that he wanted to he said we have to help scotty out um we're moving from theaters into arenas Mm -hmm. Uh, or no he actually said we're moving from theaters which sound great into arenas which are made for the for the sound of hockey sticks crunching over people's heads i probably mentioned that before that Mm -hmm. he he um he said half the reverb half the time so he would want people to turn down their effects on their instruments he would want them to um he would arrange around the room so instead of all these 16th note fills these really really fast fills that would become just a, a mess in a hockey arena Prince was the only artist with whom I've ever worked that he knew how to arrange his material so that it had the most impact and intelligibility and clarity in 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 the size venue that that he played. Right, mm-hmm. and that's why he would open up so much at these after shows because there were always smaller venues, and he could really stretch himself and give a lot of solos, and because he knew they were all going to be able to be gobbled up because the 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 venues were smaller. Right. I, I always thought the after shows, I don't mean to cut you off, but I always thought the parties and the after shows was also uh, his way, especially when we would do those Oscar parties and those other things. It was his way to show all these Hollywood people like something that they they would never 
get to see up close. They'll all go to a concert. They all can afford a front row seat. Right. But when they're in his living room and he goes and picks up a guitar and he's three feet from him and he's rocking it out, he's you he he's they're putty in his hands. And and that takes what they do and and they all of a sudden are like, Wow, I was at his house and he played two feet in front of me. And they're and they're like little kids. And it, it always amazed me. That wow, he knows the effect he has on all these people. Mm. He know, and he, it's almost like it's just for that reason. He just wanted just to say, "Oh, y'all think what you do is cool? Watch this." Yeah, <laughs> and that and, was yeah. and that was really for the elite. Yeah, sort of, but um, it it was it was sort of the opposite way in concert because he. I remember was it one night alone where we had the fans in the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And it, which mm-hmm. I thought was such a great idea because he would the first ten or twelve rows would be made up of the fans. Right, fan club fans, mm-hmm. and no matter who you are or who you were or who you thought you were, you, you were going to be in row starting row twenty one because mm-hmm. all the fan club people had. And then you have to look through that energy, yeah. And it it made the energy ripple backwards, That's especially in L A. He told me Prince had a good um, before one of the shows. He said, uh, "You know who I heard from?" And I said, uh, "I said no." And he said, "Wesley Snipes called me, uh, and he wanted six tickets to the show." And I told him, um, six tickets? That's cool. It's $900. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, man, can't you hook me up? And he said, oh, hook you up. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll hook you up. Um, let's see. I ran it out of whole theater to watch Passenger 57, and it sucked. <laughs> it was only 87 minutes long, and it still sucked. And, and he 87 said, minutes long, and so said we, it sucked. And so we laughed about that. <laughs> and then a week later or so, it was only about a week later, maybe it was a few days later, we were at the new Kodak. I think we were at the Kodak Theater. Mm-hmm. And I turned around, and who was two rows behind me with well, sunglasses Wesley's on? Nice. Wesley. And so after the show. He was at a house party, too. I said, yes. <laughs> He's getting his money's worth. Yeah. Yeah. With his five friends. Uh, light one, light 900 bucks. <laughs> but there he, he was, and yeah. he paid. And yeah. even he if made he, everybody pay. You know, yeah. that's the thing. He made people pay. Even if they liked, even if he liked their movies, because he was a big Matrix fan. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> he talked about, you know, Lawrence Fishburne having to be up in the boonies wanting free tickets. And even Will and Jada, the night of uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when they played in New York Club Black or whatever, Will and Jada were trying to get in and he's telling Trevor, Trevor Allen, uh, make sure they pay. You know, and <laughs> well, he explained it to to yeah, us on one know. of the tours uh, that he said um, he said that backstage is for us. There's no guests mm-hmm. and nobody in the back. And somebody in the band, it was just I think it was the band and me and Prince, and he was kind of laying out a couple of ground rules for the tour as it was as we broke rehearsal one night. And mm-hmm. he said, um, "There's no guest list and nobody backstage." And um, and I don't know if I can remember who who did say, it, but somebody said, "Well, what about old friends?" And he said, I don't have any old friends. Hmm. <laughs> See? So that was, hmm. he just, yeah. he, and he yeah. said, this is what we do for work. Yeah. Right. That's it. So That's it. Yeah. if you sort of keep that mentality about it, we should all pay for every club we go to in support of in support musicians. Of in there. Yeah. So it's yeah. never that sort of, he, in a way, changed my mind about all that. And I pay no matter whether I'm going back to bunkers where I cut my teeth in sound, I still pay the five or seven bucks or whatever it is. I'll pay wow. that up front because I don't want to say, hey, man, you know, let me yeah. just, I used to mix yeah. these guys. It yeah. doesn't work that way. So I just keep it fair. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's the, when I first started to, to work there, Morris Hayes, he, he, he came and 
He said, man, he said, let me tell you, he said, you know, you're good at what you do. He knows all that stuff. He said, but if you do your best for him, if he wins, music wins. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I always remember if he wins, Prince wins, music wins. Right. You know, and sure enough, if we all focus on what we did, every time he went out to do something, be it Super Bowl, be it American mm-hmm. Idol, any of those things, once he won, once he went up there and did what he does, music wins. And we got to touch back later on mm-hmm. about the Hollywood parties and some other stuff that I witnessed. But right now, because we just had Morris on okay. last week before we had your right. part three on, you know, you played a part in how uh, the Prince tribute came to be at the Excel Center and along with um, Prince's performance of Purple Rain. How did that all come out oh, to be? Yeah, Morris called and, and they had been, um, Morris and his engineer had been trying to extract vocals that Morris is very wise person and and he knew that the that it would be a mistake to have anyone else perform that song i mean right. it just doesn't play well definitely everyone puts their thumbprint on it and none of them are right and morris was right from the beginning which is prince has to perform uh, purple rain so when when morris called and said hey listen uh we're trying to extract with this software we're trying to extract his vocal off these live stereo recordings and it's not it's not happening. It's just too convoluted. There's too much going on in the track to get really clean, beautiful vocals right. off of anything. It's very, it's difficult to do. And he said, do you happen to have any multi-tracks from anything you've done with them? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I, I thought about it for a second. I said, well, um, I said, my answer is supposed to be no, <laughs> but I, but it's you. And I know what this right. is for, and I know it's for the family, and right. I know it's for the fans, and so I think I have some. I think I have the exact thing that could help you. So uh, we we were on the phone at the time. I set up a Dropbox and and dropped him one. I think it dropped him. The first thing he dropped him was uh, uh, dropped him was uh, the uh, January twenty first performance of it. Um, I quick looked looked up on a site the the set list from the two shows, and I saw where Purple Rain was, and so I kind of went to that part. And I'm still on the phone with Morris, and I quick cut cut the lead vocal at the beginning and end, and just Dropbox right. it to him. And I heard him play it back. Uh, I think I think on that first phone call, maybe it was the second phone call, but I heard him hear it for the first time, and he said, "Man, Scotty, <laughs> man," and I, and and I knew it would be exactly what he needed, what his engineer needed, right. and they they really um, as impressive as that. Uh, as software can be at extracting stuff off of that, I knew this needed uh, almost zero done to it because it was so clean and it right. so good. And I, I gave him five versions of the performance of Purple Rain, and it worked out. Awesome. Yeah, I had mentioned that to Dave Isaac when I talked to him. You know, uh-huh. after it was over, I said, "Man, I, I said I know you guys had some technology." More I said, "I said, but it's a Scotty mix. You don't have to do much to it." No, it was very clean, <laughs> and it was right. from, three of them were from. Uh, I think there was one from. Uh, the January 21st performance, and then I may have given him Sydney, one of the Sydney shows, and Melbourne. So there were there, it was Australia and and the January 21st, and between those two guys, they did a good job at cutting it up and actually adding in some of the ad lib, just the uh, uh, something about yeah. having a good time. Didn't he say something? Yeah, like that? having a good time. Yeah. Me too. You know, and that knowing that that was that was really for Morris because he he I don't think anyone has was tenured there longer as a musical force the way right. Morris was for mm-hmm. that amount of time. Right. There may have been people, you know, it's funny that people say, well, I've been, oh, I was with him. 
you know, I was with him I, for this long. Well, you were with him for a short time. It's like that. You were with him for a short time, a long time ago. So you can kind of say, but there are very few people that were there a for a time. long time. Yeah. And Morris right. is one of them that, that did a lot of time, created a lot of music, and w- was a source of um, musical solution for Prince for many, many years. People who enjoy Prince owe oh, it. Right. Yeah, and actually a friend. Of, a, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, if anybody can say it was a, that he was a friend. He was somebody who... Morris. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> now, back to the studio stuff. Not going to forget about the Hollywood parties at all, but just want to get back to some questions. Um, you know, there's people saying you can't just get anybody in there to handle and transfer these tapes, especially with these machines becoming harder to repair, maintain, and find people that know how to operate them. It makes sense to archive all these tapes digital sooner rather than later. You know, are you up for the task and do you agree with that? Uh, I, I agree with it. I'm up for the task. I've always been up for the task and, and don't have a problem and make myself fully available to anybody and everybody who wants to try to put the, you know, plan together. Like I said, the main thing with that, though, is that they have to have the other structural pieces in place for a um, for everybody to be in agreement. You know, it's it's such a tender situation because we have so many people perched around it all wanting to do something, you know, and it, and it's great that they want to do something, but let's first figure out, is there something to do something with, you know, right. that, that would be the first thing. And the, the, the very first thing is to just set up the rules of engagement around it. So that just means that make sure that the, the family has their thing together so that they benefit from anything that happens. Right. And then once that happens, then you figure out how you're going to, curate and and tell the story and tell the the, as true to the story as possible not not versions of the truth or or whatever is convenient for the sake of getting something done fast you know i think that's the the skepticism that maybe a lot of people uh, feel right now you know how how many times are we gonna hear about the amazing power of email (laughs) <laughs> and 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 the CSI of wait, I, I thought you said no spilling tea. I'm not man. spilling. No, I'm not spilling <laughs> right. tea. I'm, okay. I'm I'm stating facts. People got gave me crap. Um, yeah, over no, I'm not spilling tea. I'm okay. just stating fact. I mean, okay. I'm stating fact in that in that. Um, and part of curation is telling telling the story, not telling your story, telling the story. Right. And so the story benefits everything and everybody to be able to uh, then move to the next things that happen, which is when they want to do releases and they want to look at the things that are in there. What if you find something special in there? You know what? Let's say you found something special in the all. But let's say in finding something special, somebody's told a, a story that's less than uh, less than in line with what really happened or something that, uh, you know, doesn't hold to the let's say the email doesn't stick. Right. Right. Then you find yourself down a rabbit hole where you have actual assets that you can't use because now the the made up story doesn't go. So you have to kind of watch and keep track of everything everybody says. Right. Who's official. Right. Because that's how the story is told. The story is told in as an official is as in as an official capacity as possible to help lay the groundwork for what will be the actual um 
Hold on, they're taking pictures in the studio. Why are they doing this during the show? We'll have time afterwards. Um, but yeah, the, as the, they take pictures while I'm spilling tea, right? They're just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Mind but any, on it. anyway, they, 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 you know, you want to try and tell as accurate a story as possible because this is what the basis of the the overall thing is made up from. And if we've got a lot of things in there that are of value. Right. That we we potentially could see and they could uh, or hear and they could be released later on. It would sure be nice to know that that it's 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 free and clear from all kind of. Oh, I'm going to say this happened. I'm going to say you know we don't need to do all that. The the, right. the work speaks for itself. You said last week. Yeah, you the, never have to. Yeah, you never have to defend your work. Your work defends you. And that yeah. and and you know it. Listen, anyone can say anything now, and it doesn't matter. We right. we all know that things are have been said that, and I haven't really engaged in conjecture on the episode. Go ahead, Scotty. Go ahead. Well, no, I I just anyone I've, can I've, anyone can say anything, and it's uh, and it doesn't have to be true because you know there's the sheriff is gone now, right? So you right. can say anything yeah. you want. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. he, I was this to him, or I was that to him, or he told me this, or. He told me that I can have five hundred million dollars. It doesn't, you know. You could say anything. So the most important thing is the work. I always, right. I'm always about the work. Yeah. I think it's always about the work. And mm-hmm. and conjectures for other people. Yeah, and I and I think and that goes to some of the other stuff too. Like you know, we could we could sit here and say anything, uh, and we've seen all kind of reports on the on the tours and stuff. The bottom line is, I encourage people to go on the tour. Why? Because it exposes you to his music, to who he was. It exposes another generation. And for as long as it's going to be there, let it do the good it's going to do, and it and it sends the family what they need, which is right. which is something structured, so that they can and can help get their 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 estate together. Right. I think that's the honorable thing to do. It's not about having to be in agreement with with everything because down the line all those things will will get straightened out, and and there'll be other stuff that comes out, and they'll change. You know, museums change things all the time. So. Yeah. The fact that it's it's in there, support it. Go see it. Go experience it. Because there's we've got the next generation is who we have to kind of be able to expose his music to and the other things that he brought to the game. Right. The Paisley Park Studio Museum, make sure to support it. Right. Now, a question that Chris had from before was about how different is it uh, doing sound in the round and then at the end of stage? Is there a, a lot of a difference between it? It's huge. It's um, <clears throat> because it's it's exciting a room from the center out as much. Um, uh, every room com- provides its own certain compression because there are just walls and a ceiling, and and you you have to really be an, uh, expertly sort of control that um, that that it's re- it's science, but it's it's as much art as it is science. It's all science. Right. But it, but it's as much art as it is science. So um, in the round, when that came up, I love the idea because I had never mixed in the round to that degree before. And um, when he challenged me to come up with a system that I knew would work in the round, um, I did. I, I, I had a lot of, we had um, 140 plus 12. So we had 152 speakers in the air and we had um, a lot of low end as sub woofers as prince called them woofers right he just called them woofers um which i thought was sweet and so he he he, um uh and at the first 
maybe second, first or second sound check, he did not like what he was hearing. And it was a big empty arena and wherever we were rehearsing. And, um, and I said, uh, he said, it sounds distant. And I said, okay, well, hold on, hold on. And I took the tablet and I punched a few things in. And then I said, okay, try that. And John, uh, we didn't have the luxury of playback the way we do now. I can, I can do a sound check without a band there. I do every day. And, um, and with multi-tracking and, so John, Rhonda, and Renato started to play something, and Mike Scott, they started to play something, and Prince said, there, that, that's, leave it right there, right there, what'd you do? And I said, well, I turned off the other half of the PA. I turned off everything that was facing the opposite way. So it felt like a, a straight shot right to us, and, you know, 60, hmm. 70 feet away. And so what he was getting was a lot of reflection. So I, I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll trust that the, the room will fill up, and we'll, we'll get some bodies in here moving around and that sort of uh, it, it's a, it becomes an exercise in knowing how the venue is going to change that's the big game about live sound how is the venue going to change yeah. from one place to another and how right. is it going to react and it's just experience knowing the experience of what's going to change and and trying to control those variables a little bit so that i know how it's going to change and uh, but in the round from an end stage oh it's a yeah. it's a whole different experience and you know this has to be said too prince and i disagreed vehemently on the best way to deliver content to a, a crowd in the round he wanted people in the center he wanted this quad he was obsessed with quad sound which is 4.0 sound yeah. and you know we all we've all heard of dolby 5.1 and now i think they're up to 22.2 yeah yeah i think 22.2 is is the thing now so they just keep adding speakers and 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 but you have to be in one place to experience that best Right. And you're in a movie theater and you, you see something. Uh, I remember the first time I experienced, uh, it was either uh, Dolby or, um, or uh, THX, THX yeah. because I was in some theater and it was the movie Gremlins. That's how much I'm dating myself. Right? <laughs> and at the end of the preview, the Gremlins sound went <laughs> across the, and then up one side. And everybody in the theater was just this moment right, that we went, wow. But at the end, at the end of all of it, Prince wanted speakers on, in the corners firing back in and that really only worked in one place in the room and we had we had some disagreements about the january 21st concert and i had to sort of set up the pa um, three different ways to get it to where we did use quad sound but we had a lot of the sound coming from right in front of the stage as well so we sort of agreed on one way what way to do it yeah that was a, a musicology was pretty amazing to watch him do because it was firing out and I had just finished working with Herbie, where we had done the first ones with surround firing in hmm. live. But we did it a whole nother way. And so when I saw what you guys were doing, I was like, man, but the clarity, everything that you guys had, it was like you solved all the problems at one time without realizing how many problems there were. See, we took a whole nother way around when we did it. We we went to visit Tom Holman, the father of THX, and we, we did the whole 22-thing experience in a dark room to, to like, understand sens the sensory thing that you, you're trying to overload on with all these little delivery points. And we're like, okay, how do we do that with music? Because mm -hmm. music is such a thing where this is happening, but now you're going to bring in all these elements and try and put them in motion. Right. Prince Prince mentioned the Beatles show to me. He said mm -hmm. that yeah. um, in, in January when Prince and I were walking around the soundstage and listening to the system and uh, I had Title playing his new, playing his record and we were walking around. He said, it sounds good here. And I said, yeah, it, it sounds. And then we walked. I said, well, come on over here. And we walked a little bit toward a corner and he said, well, now it, the sound's coming from that corner. 
And I said, exactly. And I wasn't going to explain the Haas effect to him. He doesn't need to know about no. those things. He just, I, he just knew that it only sounded good in one spot. So we kind of had to come to a, uh, an agreement about that. And I had an idea that I, sadly, and I'm going to mention it here for the record, that would have been a great idea because you know if you know the soundstage of Paisley Park, you know there's the VIP risers all around the room, right? And what I wanted to create for him was a, a, a um, uh, for a band to be able to play on the big stage with a PA mm-hmm. facing, with the speakers facing out to the soundstage, and immediately when that band gets completed, um, create an opportunity for Prince to have his band go on right away, instantly, mm-hmm. and that would come out of a separate PA that I told him was called the Purple Sphere. I, it was a mistake to tell him that because he rolled his eyes at it. But I said, okay, I have this thing called the Purple Sphere, right? And it's going to be in the center. And it'll come out from, all the sound will come come out from the center right. and, and hit everybody at once. You won't have any time arrival issues. You know, you won't hear it twice. It'll just hear it once. Mm-hmm. And I said, we can put smoke up there and put a cover over it and project on it. It would have lights inside of it. And he said, no, we tried that already. Meaning musicology. Meaning we've done we've done that, right? Mm. So, but what was would have been cool is I put Kirk on one riser. I made these drawings of Kirk on one riser and Donna on another, and Mono Neon on another riser, and Adrian, right? right. So I had them on these VIP risers with couches around him, and Prince would either be in the center, playing the room, or he could be on his piano stage. So right. I made little drawings and showed him the drawings, and he he said we've done that we've done that already. So. He, he didn't want to do that. But it, it was, right. you had, <clears throat> clearly you had to be in Dave's position in the studio, in my position live, it, you had to be solution-based. And not only just to stop the bleeding, but to actually come up with yeah. different ways of doing things. You had to have multiple solutions in place. And I'm sad that we never got a chance to, to do that. Right. Um, it, it was worth exploring. And Now we're going to do, before we end part one of this, <clears throat> question we have. This is a fun one. Did Prince play any practical jokes on either of you? You had a lot of time in the studio with him. Yeah, I just say yeah, he did. Yeah. No, no one story you want to elaborate on, huh? Uh, well, he had a standard one he would do as like a test, in that he would press a couple of buttons on the console and then call you in. I don't know, just start acting. See, that's what I'm talking about. I, I, what, what's up? What's up? You know, because his whole contention was he really doesn't need technical people, right? right? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me see what's going on. You know, and it's, I just I had a list of everything I went over. I, I was so not paranoid, but I was so ready for it. I pretty much got it. And then a couple of the engineers, they were like, oh, okay, yeah. He, Ian caught it right away. Oh, he's playing tricks. Hmm. He's playing tricks, you know. And, and right. that's what he'd do, to just, just test you and see if you're on there. If it was a new engineer, he'd just do it just to, to see what, what was going on, if they if hmm. they knew what was happening. So nothing like Judith when he locked her out of the studios <laughs> in the cold, huh? No, no. With me, there's probably... No, I, 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 I probably am forgetting something, but it was just uh, I had to learn the line, fine line of when he was joking, because I was never joking, right, right. And Scotty knows I'm pretty serious, and I right. meet people with, especially in that kind of setting. So there was one time when I, when I, uh, he had went away, and. Uh, I had made Studio D or up. I had done something in one of the rooms that was just, it was a closet. 
before. It was two closets, the, the, the popsicle closet, you call it? Yeah, the popsicle. And uh, so I was like, man, what is this? And I opened up the room, and it was like two ice, ice freezers frozen over. And Jeez. inside of it was like popsicles. And it's where all these guys used to get their snacks from. On treaty treats. Treaty treats on one side of the street. But it was like old stuff, brooms and vacuums and stuff. I'm like, what is this? And so I'm like, okay, we got to get all this stuff out of here. Get all this stuff out of here. We needed a Studio A lounge. So we busted out that, busted out the walls, turned it into a Studio A lounge. I think now at the tour they have like his stuff there and a bunch of lockers. And But um, I did all this work and he came back and it was just coming back to see Studio A because he didn't know I had done this other room. Hmm. So he just walks through it. No, what's this? And he goes in and he comes right out. And I was like, he didn't say anything. He didn't smile and say he liked it. He, he just walked right out and just walked to the other one. He had a couple of comments. And then he just came out and left. Oh, okay, cool. You know, well, he really liked it. But he, right. he just couldn't say. He like I was pissed. I was like, <laughs> man, I just did some shit. Nobody did. That was two closets, man. You know. <laughs> And, and sorry, I'm not gonna end. You know, but but yeah, it was it had me upset. But he knew, you know, he he knew if he if he would have did it, well, he wasn't the type to really say mm-hmm. right there, hey, thanks, you know that 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 was really cool. Right. But I, I know he ended up digging it. You know? For me, he didn't play. He he never played any practical jokes on me. But I used to do them to him a little bit Be- because when I was a drum tech, never when I was running sound because it was just too much higher stress situation for me but but uh as a drum tech i was always on stage because michael was so big and would break so many things back then (laughs) that i I had to always be ready so i was positioned on stage kind of hiding behind michael's woofer and his monitor so i was always on stage for those shows and i was on stage right looking across to stage left well prince would do his walk-ons from stage left on this tour so he would walk i had some of the greatest views of him that Herb Ritz would have died for, right? Because mm-hmm. he would mm-hmm. walk on through the smoke right at me, but 10 feet from me, and then turn right and then go up the stairs onto the stage. And um, he, he, uh, I did something that, that he didn't like, and I don't re- really remember what it was, but I was on his list that day. And he took me to task in front of a bunch of people for it. So the next day at Soundcheck, I had the, uh, the other... Uh, I had one of the other technicians. I laid down on the ground and they did a chalk outline on my body. <laughs> and then I had long blonde hair back then and I gave myself long blonde hair. I drew the, and then I wrote um, R.I.P. Scotty right, mm-hmm. on, the, on the chest. And so when he walked and I hid, but this time I wasn't in my chair. I hid around the corner because I knew he was still mad at me. I hid around the corner from the uh, monitor. And when he walked on and he got through the smoke and he broke through the smoke and he looked down and he saw that little chalk outline of me and he started laughing and he looked up and there was me kind of peeking around the corner like with these big blinking doe eyes like am i forgiven and he laughed and kind of nodded and then turned and went up the stairs and i knew that was that was the only way i could get an olive branch to him yeah but we used to do i used to do other things i remember blowing we were somewhere really hot you know that whole hits what was it 1993 what tour the the world one act Act one man oh man we had some crazy weather and super hot weather and we were somewhere where um to make him laugh one time he came on stage and i had about four pieces of bubblicious in my mouth and i said okay i'm gonna plan this out i got all the sugar worked out so the sugar was gone it was just ready for bubbles and i kept blowing this bubble bigger and bigger 
and Michael's already laughing. And I grabbed the two, I grabbed the pinched it with two hand, fingers, and I was pulling this bubble out super big. So when I knew he was walking on to do Let's Go Crazy, I had to pull the bubble down. It was bigger than my head. I had to pull it down to look over it. And Prince sees me and starts laughing. And as soon as he started laughing, it popped. And it didn't just pop. It popped and flipped around and grabbed all this luscious blonde hair that I thought I had. So I had this straw-dry blonde hair that had that was full of gum I did the next day of the tour with ice cubes. I was rubbing ice cubes on my hair to freeze the gum and pull it out of my hair. So that one came at a great expense. And somebody on the tour said, well, we no, you know what gets it out? Peanut butter. So I, then I was, then I did peanut butter. So I had, I, for that practical joke, it cost me two days of my life with lots of ice and peanut butter to try and get the gum out of my dry straw bad hair <clears throat> you know there are three there are two times in someone's life that you're you're supposed to grab them by the shoulders right mm-hmm. and shake them two times first is when they're in a bad relationship right you just stop mm-hmm. as a friend you say hey man you're doing the wrong thing right and the second one is if somebody has a really bad hairdo right <laughs> and no one ever no one ever grabbed me by the shoulders and said your hair is dry it doesn't look like rick springfield you're failing, right? <laughs> so Gremlins and Rick Springfield really aging yeah. yourself a lot. <laughs> now, thank you so much. That's the end of part one. We're going to get things going on. Thanks for listening, you guys. Scotty and Dave are going to be right back with us. Much love. Keep it funky.